Welcome to Premier Pain Talk, a podcast dedicated to expanding awareness about treatment options for people in pain. Each week, host Dr. Michael Danko from the Premier Pain Treatment Institute in Cincinnati, Ohio, will discuss cutting-edge treatments for pain management that are improving the quality of life for those suffering from chronic pain. Tune in now to learn more about how to relieve pain and restore your life. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Premier Pain Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Danko, here in Cincinnati, Ohio. In this episode, I have a a very exciting guest with me today. Her name is Laura Vroon. Uh, She has been working in the health industry for 21 years. She was in the the pharmaceutical industry for approximately six years, and she's been in medical device uh, for about 15 years. Uh, We have a really exciting discussion today that is going to be a little bit different. It's not going to be focused on a specific treatment. It's going to be more of how uh, the, the relationship is with industry and how how industry can be beneficial and, and can have a very positive role in, uh, in patient care. This is a really apt month to have Laura join the podcast because it is Women's Health Month. And with that, uh, I'm going to kick it over to Laura for a brief introduction uh, and she can tell us a little bit about herself. Thanks, Dr. Danko. Appreciate you having me for this. It's something I'm really passionate about, helping chronic pain patients. As you mentioned, I've been in the industry for gosh, 21 years, working on my 22nd year in the pain management space. And have had the privilege to work with thousands of patients over those years directly and helping them um, in their day-to-day life with their chronic pain device and and helping them get better. And so it's been an interesting, wonderful ride, Uh, but I am from Charleston, South Carolina. I'm married. I've got two kids who are 16 and 13. And so it's definitely makes for a busy day, busy week, month, quarter, what have you, but uh, I enjoy it and I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and so uh, so the juggling act is something you're you're pretty familiar with. Yes, it's a day to day operation. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I want to you know kick this off by by going through some of your background and some of how that makes you you know pretty unique to to give us a really good perspective about this from from multiple angles. So tell me a bit about how you started out uh, more on the on the clinical side and more in the maybe we call it a patient facing role. Yeah, so I was with. What you know, I mentioned I was with pharma for several years. I was in that chronic pain space. So I got the opportunity to work with pain management physicians, but I didn't get the opportunity to work directly with patients. And I felt a calling to do that. And so I received an opportunity that really just fell in my lap because I knew so many pain management physicians and I really cared about working in their practice. And this connection was made to get into the device side. And I started out really at um, the clinical level, working directly with patients one-on-one, helping um, tweak their therapy, if you will, helping them find the optimal pain man- you know, pain relief for the therapy they were receiving and neuromodulation. And so that really dovetailed well into being able to not just help with the equipment, right, and helping the patients feel be, live a better life, but also just talking with pain management physicians and patients about activities of daily living, how to restore function and a good quality of life for patients. And I've just been really passionate about that. And I was able to do that direct patient work for seven years. Uh, Part of that in just a strictly a clinical specialist role, but then also moving into a sales role uh, and, but still being able to retain that clinical touch with patients. So it's been, um, it's been a very interesting ride, but one that I'm very passionate about because I do have seven years of that direct patient experience when things are going great and when things aren't going great, right? These patients had my cell number. They could call me anytime. um, And I was there for them. Holidays, time off, weekends, what have you. 
we we were we need to be there for patients, and it's been a very rewarding experience. You mentioned uh, uh, how you the first several years when you're more on the pharmaceutical side was more of a physician facing, or you're more in, interacting with the offices, and, and right. maybe not as much exposure to the patients. And and when you started having more direct contact with, with patients and, and and more direct patient care, what was what was a maybe a thing or two that you found a little little confusing or a little uh, uh, surprising about dealing with the patients more directly? Yeah, I think a couple of things. One is that there is a lot out there, right? And it's hard to keep it all straight. When you're in pain, when you're hurting, it affects every facet of your life. And so one of the things I realized was the gravity of that, that that can have on patients and just their ability to try to fight to get back to what was as best they can and how hard that journey is not because they may not be trying or not because they may you know may not be researching ways to do it but it just takes a lot of effort it takes a caregiver being involved it takes everyone in the office when they are in that physician's office being invested on them getting better and even on the device side i saw that it was really important to me for me to be as invested in their care and their ability to get help as it was for anyone else that was interacting with them whether a caregiver or a physician or an office staff member. So you really are part of the team. And I think that's one of the things that surprised me the most was how intricately involved industry can be in truly developing and helping patients get better, but also just the struggle that chronic pain patients truly have day to day to, despite their best efforts, there's just a lot of information out there and it's hard to decipher through all that in order to get back to doing the things that they want to do. Now, as far as the, you know, looking at the the scope of the patients you worked with, did, did you find a pretty wide range in how much support they had and and what their, their support structure looked like? Very much. You know, some had lots of people involved, others lived alone, and we were trying to help them manage um, maintaining and caring for a device amongst all of the other things, the, the medications they were taking. And then can't ever forget that chronic pain patients just, just aren't just in pain, right? They have other things going on, other ailments. They they get sick like everyone else and have to deal with colds and flus and allergies and diabetes and possibly and other types of um, ailments. And so they're they're seeing physicians for that as well. And so it can be very, very complicated to, to figure out a way for the chronic pain piece to be resolved when you have other things going on. And so I was able to see that we really have to be dynamic in how we're helping patients so that we can address the multiple situations that they're that they can be in. And you know Looking at the at this, uh, I'd be remiss to to ask if you had not had any family experiences uh, in this or, or any other ways where you felt like you know this hit a little more closer to home, where you could see the the patient experiences you deal with on day to day, but sometimes you're maybe a little bit more removed from it. So, were there was there anything with your family or your your personal experience that where you got to kind of you know put this into action? Yeah, no, I, that's a great question. I think. I was at first when working with patients thinking very, I was, I had a limited scope of thinking, right? I was just thinking about the, the device that I was working with in that particular patient, right? And learning about what's going on with them. But what really struck close to home was when my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And then I was on the other side, I was on that caregiver side. And I felt, you know, gosh, being in the medical industry, having a relationship with tons of different physicians and office staff in my community I, would, I thought initially it would be really easy for me to figure out the best way to help my mom with her diagnosis of Alzheimer's. And what I discovered is that 
It is really complicated and hard. Even when you're immersed in the medical community, it's difficult. And I think there's a lot of parallels that I learned from that Alzheimer diagnosis to my mother and what I was, you know, in, in that chronic pain patient that I was working with, which is, you know, there's a lot of, for instance, a lot of neurologists out there that, that, that are functioning and have very busy practices, but not all are specialists in Alzheimer's, right? You have to find that specified physician in that specialty to really help you get access to the, mo- the latest and greatest that's out there to help you. And I think chronic pain patients probably feel a lot of those same struggles, which is there's a lot of physicians out there who practice pain management, but really finding the right one that is going to offer a lot of the interventional or the procedures that are going to help them get better is harder to find. And so I think that's one parallel that I was able to draw from that experience. I think the other is the fact that although I sat with lots of patients and I talked to a lot of patients and was helping them through the good times and the bad times, it really came close to home with my mother and being the caregiver with Alzheimer's because Alzheimer's isn't something that people like to go out and talk about. You know, no one runs out and at a party and says, hey, everybody, I've been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, right? It's something that socially you feel very awkward or sometimes ashamed to admit that you have or that a family member of yours has, and it can make a social situation uncomfortable. And so I was able to experience that firsthand with a family member and relate that to the work that I was doing with chronic pain patients that I imagine a lot of patients in pain feel very similarly. No one wants to be at the party and constantly be the one talking about their pain, right? You want to live a normal life and have a social life that allows you to function as best you can and be happy. And so I know that I felt firsthand how difficult that is to do. And so it was an, it was definitely a correlation that allowed me to work with chronic pain patients and empathize with their situation a lot better. And I think that's, that's really important to, and, a, and a great corollary to, to between the two conditions. And, and I think that whether it's certain medications that somebody may be taking that they don't really want their family and friends to know about, uh, whether it's a a procedure or other treatment that they may not want their employer to know about because they don't want to be looked at as a liability. Um, I think, I think that is a, you know, um, to make this really challenging. And did you find that, uh, that, that there was some difficulty uh, uh, with your mother in terms of like how to find the, the neurologist that was best? Like, did you, did you feel open asking other people for recommendations? Did you just try to search more on your own? What was your experience with that? Yeah, because of the social aspect of it, I didn't necessarily want to go out and ask a bunch of friends, right, what to do. I wanted to honor, right, the, uh, the, my mother and her pride, right, and, and her self-esteem as she was struggling with the diagnosis. And so I really just became one that sat online and just did simple Googling of Alzheimer's and the symptoms that she was experiencing and trying to find a way to help her as best I could. And it was very challenging because um, there was a lot of information out there, but was it information that was relevant to me and to my mom? That was what was really difficult to discern. Um, and so I would imagine that a lot of chronic pain patients feel very similar. And I think that's an opportunity for industry, right, for the companies that are providing these innovative therapies and are researching these things to really have a better outreach to patients um, and their ability to do that, because that's the way patients and and their family members are looking things up. Not, hey, what's the name of this medication or this procedure, but this is what my family member is suffering with. This is what is ailing 
um, myself or someone that I love, and I need to just to figure out how to help them. So, so soon I, I do want to transition into a discussion about about that and how maybe how industry is is shaping or changing the way that they that they interact with patients in that regard and in, in, in more of an outreach scenario. Uh, but before we do that, I, I want to start to kind of lay the table for why uh, set the table for why you are uh, you know qualified to to really discuss that. And that's uh, how did the Tell us a bit about your transition from clinical to, to more of an executive type role. Yeah. So I, as I mentioned, I was in the field working with patients for seven years. And in order to just continue to understand how industry works, how, how these companies work, I knew that I needed to get into the other side of it, right? Which is moving into a, a leadership role. I also really wanted to help other reps out in the field uh, help patients more, right? And be better at doing it. And so I knew that I could do that if I moved into a, a management, a people leader role. And so I moved into that regional manager role. I had 15 to 20 clinical specialists, as well as sales reps that worked in my region and, and that were geographically close to where I live in Charleston. And I did and worked and led those folks for an additional seven years. And in that time, it definitely taught me the other side, right, which is in order to help deliver the, the, the products and the innovative therapies, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to do that. And then also we have to really provide reps with train the right training and the right tools to be able to help patients as best they can when they are in that room one-on-one. So that was a big motivation for me to move into that role. And I definitely think it's one where I've, I've been... Uh, just pleasantly surprised about how much there is to learn once you are have that field experience, which I had for a long, long time. And then I'm able to take that into working with marketing, looking at the way we talk to patients, the things that we show patients, um, why we talk about things in a certain way, why their visuals are really important, uh, patient testimonial videos, learning all of that side of it. And then also clinical research, how much the company invests in clinical research and why that's really important. All of those things I learned um, in my last 10 years, really, of being being on the leadership side and more internal. And so I think that's a great transition to to our second segment and talking more broadly about industry and hopefully how how, um, people can start to get a better understanding for how industry can be a a patient advocate uh, in a more broad sense. So. Maybe talk a bit or what you've seen uh, as or the last 15 to 20 years, how the, the approach to, to interacting with the patient or in this case, the customer, how that's changed and, and maybe how it's improved. Yeah, I think initially uh, when I was first working with patients and um, first immersing myself into the med device world, a lot of our patient outreach was very specific to the task at hand and very specific to the product that we were selling, right? And so it would be information on a, a battery, on a needle, on whatever it is that the product was, um, was that was related to that particular procedure. And so a lot of our uh, patient outreach was focused around that. And the change that I've really seen over the last, I would say, five to seven years has been a shift to education that's more involved around the patient's diagnosis or the symptoms that the patient is feeling or the needs that a caregiver might have in helping a patient get to therapy. And all of that um, really comes back to 
creating websites, social media interaction with patients that is able to help patients find options, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the focus. And that's where partnership with physicians, partnerships with hospitals is um, is really important, right? Because that's the, the mutual goal is to help patients get access. We know that the majority of chronic pain patients have a hard time finding the person that the physician, the group, what have you, that can give them exactly what they need. And so our um, our materials, whether it's a brochure, whether it's things online, are much more geared now to the access, to patient access, than just talking about a widget, a thing. Yeah, and I think that really is important because uh, you know, from the physician side, and, and to give the audience a bit of a uh, inside into what we deal with on a day-to-day basis. Over the course of my career, there, there's been a bit of a push away from industry, from, from hospitals and from healthcare uh, organizations because of fear of bias and in some perception that, that you know, we're going to intentionally give people treatments just because it's sold to us best. Uh, and there are things like the Sunshine Act where, where there's reporting of all of the industry engagements that we have, if there's, you know, a lunch or a dinner or anything we, we get, you know, we, that gets reported uh, and that's okay. I think it's, that is imp- appropriate because you yeah. do want to avoid, you know, overutilization or misusage, but, but at the same time, it may, it can sometimes make it difficult for us as physicians to stay up uh, and stay current on, on what's available. I mean, cause it basically says, unless you're, unless you're going to a, a medical conference, you, you know, it's, it makes it really hard to, to learn new things. Uh, and so uh, I think it's great that there's a lot of direct outreach through, through the kind of online channels, because that's a, a way for the patients to potentially be more informed and to, and to bring ideas and, and, and content to their physicians and, and, uh, and to say, suggest, Hey, what do you think about this device or yeah. this, this treatment? Yeah. I think, you know, I think that's an important point. And I think also when you, think about industry, probably a lot of patients out there only see things in the news that are bad, right? And there's bad apples in every bunch, as my mother would say, right? Um, But on the whole, industry is out there trying to do the right thing by the patients. And when patients get good access to therapy and have good results with that therapy, then everybody wins, right? And I think that's the part that is probably uh, misunderstood out in the broad public is that industry has the mindset to want to help patients get better. And that is the driving force. Um, And unfortunately, sometimes out in the media, only the negative stuff rises to the top and all the positive things, the the outreach, the connection that industry has the ability, really unlike any other group to provide, is is out there and out there and there's a high volume of it, right? And so I think that is a good thing for patients to be able to get access to that. And, and the industry has the means to do it. So talked about the means that industry has. Share a bit, a bit about how um, maybe some things that, that the general patient may not be aware of and that how industry can help uh, move the needle with innovation and, and with clinical research and, and, and you know, evaluating safety. Yeah, I think probably most people aren't aware of how much a typical medical device company spends and focuses on either research and development within their own company or acquiring really innovative research and development or really innovative therapies that that a smaller company has um, has created and researched and developed. And that's really the that's the 
the nucleus, if you will, or that's the engine to the car that lets the med device company, you know, hit the highway and really get running is either within that device company, they need to have um, a pipeline that is strong. And what do I mean by that? A group of products that are helping patients um, get better and are cutting edge, very, very innovative, or we need to be looking at other smaller companies that are able to develop that more quickly so that we can bring that to patients. I think that's something that probably most chronic pain patients or most patients in general don't realize about industry is how much of that is really a focus. Um, Because if we don't, if we're not improving the way that patients are um, getting care and the therapies that they're getting and not improving the way patients are feeling in this instance that their pain is getting significantly better faster, then we're not winning, right? The patient's not winning, the physicians aren't winning, and we're not going to be able to bring the next new innovative product to market. And so I think that's probably one of the largest things that are that is unknown unless you're really in it um, to know how much time and effort is spent on that. And that is for the benefit of all of the medical community. Yeah, and I think that, you know, sometimes we'll hear things like, uh, different foundations and, and other ways that that a lot of money is raised, maybe the, the Jimmy V Foundation mm-hmm. for cancer research and things like that. But uh, you'll often hear along the same line, you'll hear about other conditions, other treatments that that are not getting funding. I, I was listening to a, a, a podcast with a, with a gentleman who's uh, trying to complete a triathlon when, after being diagnosed with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease or, uh, you know, motor neuron disease and, and uh, or, or, uh, ALS is another another term for that, and uh, he was just talking about how you know there were the the minuscule funding that there really has gone into treatment for ALS, and and um, you know so I think it's important that that people understand that the industry is really helpful in, in, in providing some of the funding and the source uh, to be able to do the research and to be able to to you know advance and develop new treatments, and it can't just all be reliant on people's goodwill and, and gifting to, to charities and fundraisers. Yeah, I think, you know, this is something we didn't even talk about necessarily earlier, but it's also uh, we're huge advocates for lowering costs for patients really in, in their in their managed care plans. And certainly that's a very complicated issue, right, for patients, for industry, for physicians. But, you know, we're, we're certainly a very large advocate for the lower that uh, the costs are to patients, the more access patients will be able to have. And that's good for everyone as well. And so we do spend a lot of the time and energy on advocacy for that as well. And as much as you can, uh, take us inside the window, uh, the corporate window and in, the efforts or things that, that you all do for educating your, your clinical uh, staff and, and trying to make sure that they are, you know, that they, all the effort that you're putting in to develop these products and make them innovative and safe and, and keeping them up to date and, and uh, delivering the proper information. Yeah, we spend an exorbitant amount of time training our representatives, the clinical people that go out and, and work with patients every day. It's extremely important that any patient that has access and then works with someone that is um, representing a product that they are getting the utmost highest level of care from that individual. And so there's an enormous amount of time and resources spent on training reps to go out into the field. And in fact, in some um, medical specialties, there's even, you know, postgraduate, uh, you know, colleges that you can go to and specialize in, in studying that um, in and of itself. And so I know a lot of in the cardiac space and the heart space, there's actually, you know, postgraduate courses you can take just on how to do that well how to work in industry and be a good clinical 
um, help to patients. And so I think that's a testament to how important that it is because that clinical rep is really an extension of not just the product and the company, but it's an extension of the physician's practice as well. The physician has recommended a certain procedure and it's recommended a certain product to do that based on their clinical decision-making because they are the physician and they are, you know, they are responsible with the patient to make that decision. And so it's important that the person that's representing the product lives up to the physician standard as well, right? Because we're an extension of that practice. So we spend a lot of time um, making sure that also that when things don't always go great, right? In other words, a chronic pain patient in this instance is having a bad day. How can we help that patient then not just when they first get the therapy, but ongoing and how they're living with the therapy. We want to make sure we're there for the patient for those times as well, right? Because a lot of things can seem one way on day one, but it's really about how you live with the device, how you live with the therapy that really makes um, makes it work and makes the patient be able to go back to doing the things they want to do. So we not it's not just how you help the device work better, but also how do you talk to patients? How do you explain things? So that the patient and the caregiver feel like they're armed with everything they need to go out and live their life the best that they can. And the ideal scenario is that the pain is significantly better or gone if if it can be, but also that they don't think about us, right? That's a win, right? If they're out doing what they need to do and myself as the clinical person helping that patient doesn't think about me, no, no news is good news. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, that's always uh, exciting on the provider side too. So I, I had a patient that I saw earlier today who uh, he had, he had one of, a neurosimilar device implanted about a month ago. And he's, he's like, I'm not sure if I'm not supposed to tell you this or not, but I'm, I'm not taking my, my medication as I'm supposed to. And that immediately got me kind of wondering, does that mean he's taking it too much? Right. Is he taking it too little? Uh, and he said, well, you know, my, my pain is so, you know, it's almost gone now. And, and I noticed, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, tingling and electricity in my legs, something that we call paresthesias that are, they're a little bit different than pain and, and uh, more of an autonomic symptom. And, uh, and he's like, I've only taken four pain pills since I had this, this implanted. Uh, and, awesome. and, uh, and I was like, well, that's great. I mean, yeah. I love that. It t- that's gives, what you want to hear. It gives me a little bit of tingle, like hair goes up in the back of my neck yeah. when I hear that. Cause that's the whole point of, of doing a lot of these. Uh, and so I think it's, I think it's, it's great when, when we can make these therapies so that people just aren't, aren't thinking about them as much. And they're, and they're, uh, what was the term you used earlier on about, uh, you know, finding their way back to or the, being more functional again? Yeah. Just more functional, more able to have a better quality of life and get back to the things they want to do. Yes. There yes, you go. I love that. Yes. Get, get, find the way back. That's right. Yeah. Find the way back. Yeah. So uh, speaking of finding the way back, how has what has been some of the challenges, some of the struggles that that on the industry side that you saw during this uh, COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, so it's interesting, right? Because I think it was a really challenging time for everyone. That's the understatement of, of the year or the decade, probably. I think the challenge was that it's one of the first times and the only time, actually, I can think of in my experience working with physicians where we weren't sure how to connect with patients because there wasn't the in-office visit, right? There wasn't necessarily the ability for a patient to come in for a checkup, right? And that's always been something we've just taken for granted, right? That you can just follow up with your physician the next time, right? And then see how things are going. But when COVID happened, coming into the office, having the office too busy, or if someone tested positive or someone in the office tested positive, 
that made that really challenging. And so one of the things I think that we were able to do on our end, because we worked directly with the patient, is we were truly a partner to physicians and reaching out to patients and saying, hey, we know you're interacting with this therapy right now. We have your contact information. How can we keep in touch with you to make sure that even though there's all this coronavirus stuff going on, there's not a drop in your ability to get great therapy, right? And I think that's one of the times where we each realize both us industry and I, I, you know, get your feedback too, Dr. Danko, where we realize we need each other. We need each other in order to help patients get access and be able to come in. And so incredibly challenging time, but I would also say probably one of the most rewarding times I've ever had in the 21 years that I've been working with chronic pain patients and working with physicians because everybody rallied together to try to make sure that everybody's care continued despite all the things, the crazy things that were going on in the world. And I think that's um, something that what could be looked at as a hard time, a challenging time, and it was, but it was also a rewarding time for us to learn that we can keep in touch with patients. We have the ability to do that. And now how can we do that better now that we've learned that lesson through that experience? Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think that that was definitely a time where where it was uh, initially very eye-opening about, wow, okay, I can't see this patient in my clinic. I don't right. know. I'm trying to figure out what's going wrong over the telephone or, or trying to help them with, you know, getting their medications or getting their treatments and, and procedure rooms were shut down. And, and where are we going to get the supplies to do those procedures? And, and when are the operating rooms going to be open again? And, and so I think it, it definitely spurred a lot of innovation, which I think was kind of the little bit of the, the silver lining to it. Yeah. Uh, I, I- I think the patient outreach innovation was most powerful in that we used to do a lot of in-person patient education. And what we realized through COVID was that we could do that virtually, that patients were actually really comfortable doing it virtually. And the benefit was for a chronic pain patient, for instance, was they didn't even have to leave their home in order to learn about what therapies were best for them and what ways that their physician could connect with them without them even having to get off their couch, right? And we, what we thought at first would, no, patients maybe won't buy into that, or they might feel distant if we do it, do that virtually. What we learned is that not necessarily that actually it allowed patients that would have never maybe had the ability to come out and sit in a, um, a lecture, right, to learn about things, that they could sit in their own home, even have a caregiver be right by their side and feel comfortable in that learning environment because it was their home. And so I think there's that piece. And I also think another piece where industry shifted for the betterment of the patient as a result of COVID is things like our apps, right? Like companies can develop apps that allow their connection with the patient to be stronger and deeper and look at how important that was in a time like, like, um, like Corona, right? Where we were able to have an app where we were actually able to speak with the patient in that way. Uh, and as opposed to even have sometimes having to have them come in or even in a phone call, right? We were able to send them surveys for the day on how they were feeling and get that information back um, and do that from the comfort and safety of their own home. I think that's great. And, and you know, that's, that was really the driver why I want to start this podcast, really want to improve you know, therapy awareness. I think mm-hmm. we we have a problem in, in pain management where there's just a misperception about what we do and 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 maybe part of it misperception, part of it just a general lack of knowledge uh, yeah. or lack of awareness. Uh, and so, now along the same lines, I also think that that a lot of our 
colleagues in the in the medical space ha- have a lack of awareness about what we do. Uh, and I was just curious to pick your brain about whether um, you know you see on the industry side uh, efforts to to improve outreach to primary care doctors, to orthopedic surgeons, to neurosurgeons, to uh, neurologists, like you meant, we mentioned earlier, to to help them and be more aware and become educated on on a lot of these therapies. Yeah, we have. We've thought a lot about it. And I think one of the things that was a catalyst to us being able to reach patients faster and help them get to the physicians that could help them was exactly like you said, speaking to that physician that initially made the diagnosis um, or where the patient first started, right? And that's typically in a primary care environment, right? Or family practice physician. And so what we used to do is go in and talk to those physicians about, let me tell you about a particular therapy, right? And what we learned in time is that most family practice, most primary care physicians, they're very busy. They're seeing an enormous amount of patients at a very wide age variety, right? For a wide variety of things. And it's difficult for them to think very siloed that way. But when we change the conversation to, hey, don't worry about the therapy. Let's talk about what that patient looks like in your practice that's in pain. And when you think about that chronic pain patient, what is a way that we can help you make a connection to help that patient get better? And when we made that change in our conversation with them and in our education with them and in our outreach to them, we saw we have seen just huge advantage to doing that because it's really solving a problem that the primary care and family practice physician has, which is, you know, I see all these options, but I don't know what's the best one for for the patient that I've been seeing for 20 years and is now in this scenario, right? Or the patient who has gone out, they've had surgery and now they're back in the office and their pain hasn't subsided. Um, to that the level that they the patient wants or that the level that the family practice or primary care physician feels is appropriate. And so then how do we get that patient back to the physician that can help with that? So I think it's been a huge shift in the way that we've been able to do that. And I, and I hope that it's for the betterment of the patient and that more of these patients are able to get access. That's great. And, the, and at PPTI, you know, we have a care model. Where we're really trying to be that intermediary between the primary care and, and the surgeons mm-hmm. because uh, you know, right now, I think our the, the normal workflow is a bit cluttered or, or backwards, where they uh, where they go to the primary care, and then they maybe they go to physical therapy, um, then they go to the to the surgeon. The surgeon tells them that you need to fail X, Y, and Z conservative treatments before we can perform surgeries. Then they get referred to to pain management or or to another specialist. Uh, and then we do our, our interventions and then, you know, hopefully they work and the patient never needs that surgery, but then if they don't work, then they go to the surgeon. So it's kind of inefficient. There's, you know, mm-hmm. four or five steps in there. And in a PPTI, we're working on a care model where it's, you know, the identification of the problem, you know, the initial immediate conservative treatment, which is typically physical therapy or chiropractic care. And, and then, and then send them our way because then we can do our, you know, interventions. And then if those don't, work or the patient truly needs a corrective surgery, then we can move them along. And so it's, you know, two, maybe three stops rather than four or five. Yeah, I think that's great. I think even just hearing you speak that way, right, with that awareness of outreach to patients in your community is a step that both the physician and the industry has taken, right? And and sometimes together, other times um, each on its own. But I think that, you know, just having, again, been in this industry for 20, over 20 years, 
physicians are speaking a lot more like you just did, which is really thinking about how do you reach patients in your community to help them get better. And you're right. It's, it's all about being all about the patient, helping um, create less confusion for them, having them have a more direct pathway um, to getting better. And so I think it's awesome that you're thinking about it that way. And uh, I think when you do that as a physician and we provide materials and help along the way and have that foresight as well to look at it that way, uh, the patient, the patient, patients will get access better more today than, than before. And so, you know, Last thing I want to touch on is maybe try to pick your brain about the the future. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm just curious where you think some of the, the industry focus is going or, or a little bit of insight on how uh, we might further this and make this, uh, you know, even better. So I'm, I know that there's efforts, you know, in, in the neuromodulation space about being able to, you know, interact with people's devices, you know, remotely and, and to do other uh, other other ways where that where makes patient care you know more efficient and and easier on the patient. So you know within the the bounds of what you're allowed to to share, yes. uh, where do, where do you see the the future going in terms of patient outreach? Well, we I do have to keep things close to the vest, but I think when you look high level at it, right, as an industry, what are some things in the future? I think a lot more of what we've already talked about, right? So more tools that are virtual or apps that are that provide a lot more information for patients. And um, you see where that can go in regards to uh, patients now have Apple watches or Fitbits and all these types of different things, right, that allow them to be connected. So it's exciting to see where industry will take that in the future. I think what other uh, piece is really interesting from industry, just again, broad brush across all therapies, is looking at more things than just pain right? Just the pain score, right? But looking at things like how is a patient sleeping better? How are they reducing the medications that they're taking for pain? Are they interacting more with family members? Are they more active in regards to the activities or their work? And so looking at all of these different things and finding a way to measure those to see if patients are not just about their pain, but overall in their life, how is a particular therapy or a device helping the patient do all of those things better. And I think that's where you're going to see um, industry as a whole move in that direction to not be so linear just on the pain score, right? That every chronic pain patient that's listening to this knows, hey, when I come into the office, what's one of the first things? What's your pain score out of a one, you know, one out of 10, right? Or zero out of 10, where are you, right? And so trying to elevate that to, yes, that's one marker that tells us about you, but there's a lot of other things that tell us about how you're doing, either good, bad, um, or indifferent, right? And so having industry focus on a lot of those other things and looking at the total patient. And then with that in mind, what do we do to create tools and resources that address the total patient, not just the the device, not just the, the therapy, and then not just what the patient is feeling right then, but their overall quality of life. So I think that's really where you're going to see things moving forward in the future. And I think there are greater partnerships with people outside med device that provide products that are going to allow us to do that better. And so I think that's what patients can look forward to um, seeing coming out in the future. And I think that's an exciting time. So. Yeah, I think you're right on the money. Uh, the pain score or your, your percent of relief is, is almost the ultimate subjective measure. And we historically had some difficulty with 
you know, with trying to make that subjective measure into, into, and finding more objective measures. I mean, we tried to first take the, that subjective measure and make it a vital sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes. obviously that, you know, that didn't work out right. so hot. And then, uh, and then we've done better with trying to find other surveys and other ways to get more objective measures like disability index and claudication scores and, and things. And, and I'm really excited to see where we're going to be able to to take pain and make it more, uh, make at least the the measurements more objective. You know, cardiology has all these fancy blood tests and and imaging tests and you know CT scans that that measure your coronary calcium score and, and different ways. And you know how how fascinating it would be if we could not if but when we find more objective measures to to measure chronic pain. Yeah, I think that's the wave of the future. And I think that's what patients need, right? Because uh, we all wake up on the wrong side of the bed every now and then, right? And so uh, it's not just about one thing. So I think that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, when it comes to measures and wearables and things, I've uh, I've gotten big into into triathlon and training yeah. and running and, and using my wearables like my watch and heart rate monitor and that to, to monitor. So I'm going to use that as a way to segue into very last part of this talk, which is going to really be selfishly what I want to hear about. And, okay. and uh, you know, last time we, we spoke, I was starting to hear a little bit about your daughter and, yes. all, and all of her, uh, you know, running accolades and how well she's doing with that. And just wondered if you had any updates and uh, kind of what the season's looking like for her. Well, it's funny that you asked that because just yesterday she was able to receive for her state ring for her uh, individual champion, state champion for cross country back in November and her team won as well. And it's not just for the first time, but the second time. And, uh, and so she received that yesterday. So it was an exciting day for me as a mom to be able to watch her success and her be rewarded for that. And we're in the thick of track and field right now. And so we have lower state uh, this weekend, this Saturday, and then we have the state championship next weekend. So I'm very blessed that I have two children that are very athletically inclined And uh, so I'm very grateful. It does make for quite a busy work family balance to balance a lot, you know, working 80 hours a week, traveling like I do. And then, of course, having to balance practices and pickups and and sporting events and all of that kind of thing. But I'm very grateful that I have the opportunity to see it. And she has had great success. um, And so we're very proud of her and really hats off to her coach and, and her team and her whole support system that's let her get to where she is. And and her uh, her watch, which tells her her heart rate, is also very important to her. And so uh, we've been introduced to that uh, in a in a teenage world and how to how to mitigate that. But that's for another podcast because that's that you can go on for hours about that. Yeah, that would be exciting. Yeah. So so you know what uh, what events is she is she going to be in? So she will run the thirty two hundred, which is eight laps around. I'm I'm not coming from a running background myself, so this is all new to me. So I always. I have to tell how many laps is that race, right? That's how I memorize it. So the 3,200 is eight laps around the track. That's a long one. Uh, It takes a lot of uh, focus and attention to stick with it as a spectator through eight laps. But she'll do that race. She'll also do the 1,600, which is four laps. And then she's going to try the 800 possibly, which is just two. So she's going to, the challenge of that is that she's going to have to go back to back to back, really with racing. Mm-hmm. She will not have the opportunity to rest like she's used to um, when she does some of the relays. So it's going to be a big challenge for her this Saturday to see how she's able to run at her best, quickly recover, and then stand right up on the line and try it all over again. So it'll be a fun weekend. So, uh, you know, back when I was doing high school track and uh, the 
the order for that was that the, the 1600 was, was near the front and then the 800. And then really closely after that was the 3200. That's, that's correct. It's still the case. It's about a 20 minute window between the 800 and the 32. So it is a, uh, I joke with her that the 800 is just her warm up to run the 32. Uh, she's competitive every time she steps up to the line. So she wants to win it each time, but, uh, but yes, it is very tight. And um, so we've had to learn a lot too about proper nutrition and what things help uh, reduce inflammation and help her recover quickly and how to consume sugars uh, so that she can, you know, really have the right timing of what's in her belly to help her out when she's racing. So it's been, it's been an interesting thing for all of us to learn as a family for sure. And then I have a son in football that's trying that for the first time. And so we've got a lot of new adventures in our household right now, keeping us busy. All right. Well, you know, that's, that's exciting. I, I, just like you said, we could spend another 45 minutes talking about all of that. Yes. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much for joining me. This was a really exciting, really a fun conversation. This, the, the time just flew by. So any, any last words or any, any, um, any, any information that you want to share with the, with the, with our audience before we close out? Just to say, thank you for doing this podcast and thinking about patients first. I think that's the first thing I want to say, having been in industry, it's the first I've seen of its kind. And so thank you for that. Right. And the second piece I would say is to the patients out there listening, there is hope for you. There is a lot of innovation today as compared to even two, three years ago, and there's so much more to come. So be hopeful, right? As you sit and listen to this, have a hopeful heart that there are things that are coming and that what we want to do is, is want you to reach out and look and and use your resources to figure that out because we're here for you and we're here with you and both physician and industry together to help you solve this. And wow, wouldn't this be great to talk in a year, two, three, maybe 10, hopefully it's shorter about really how we've eliminated it. Wouldn't that be amazing? And so that's what we're all fighting for together. And I just want chronic pain patients to know out there, there are millions of people on the industry side and physician who are fighting for that every day for them. And so have hope. I couldn't say that any better. Uh, so with that, we're going to close out this podcast episode. Again, this is Premier Pain Talk. I'm Dr. Michael Danko. I'm in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, we, ha- If you happen to be in our area, we have three office locations. We have uh, Loveland, Hillsborough, and Mount Orb. Um, our website is premierpaintreatment.com. Uh, um, the website for the podcast here you know, is, is premierpaintalk.podbean.com. And you can find us on all of your podcast uh, streaming apps of choice. And uh, thank you again for listening in and and definitely leave uh, some feedback or comments and and rate us because all those reviews are really helpful. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Premier Pain Talk, where we understand your pain and share solutions that can improve your quality of life. This episode is brought to you by Premier Pain Treatment Institute, which has convenient Cincinnati area locations in Loveland, Mount Orb, and Hillsboro. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you get updates on all new episodes. Feedback is sincerely appreciated. 